Great, welcome. Uh, we are Anthony and Jen Wiki, and uh, hopefully you know why you're here. The workshop we're doing this morning is about physical healing. It's something that God has uh, been working in us and through us um, probably since before we got married. It's just something that's been on our hearts and something he's been developing in us um, through the years. And uh, before we start, I want to put a little disclaimer out there that the information that we're giving you today is is it's good it's information that you know like i said some of it is from our own personal lives some of it is from some online teachings that we've learned uh from a lot of it from the church in redding california from bethel there and there's also a book uh you can get the name of it on your handout um called the essential guide to healing and it's by bill johnson and randy clark so Really excellent read if you want to read more into it. Our information will be coming from there too. But what I want to say is, with the information that we're giving you today, we want you to ponder this information. We want you to think about it. We want you to seek God for a personal revelation, something that's specific for you. We're not going to suggest that anybody do anything radical like break your glucose meters or break your glasses, snap them in half during this meeting. We're not going to suggest anybody do anything like that. Um, and continue seeking medical care for any kind of current problem that you have. God has given us very intelligent people as doctors, as, as surgeons and specialists, and these people can help us. And modern medicines that we have access to here in America can also help us. And sometimes God can use them to help heal us. So with whatever we say today, please do not leave here and think, you know, unless God directs you, like I said, seek a revelation that's personal for you. Don't leave here and go do something radical that we did not actually intend for you to do <laughs> that might end up with bad results. So, okay, with that, I want to just pray and start this meeting. <sighs> Father, we pray for an anointing over the words that we would speak this morning. We invite your presence, your Holy Spirit, into this place that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal to us whatever it is you want us to hear today, and that you would create something in us, a passion, a desire to live in this uh, in this uh, gifting that you've provided for us to have access to, this gift of physical healing that we can actually have part of. We pray, Lord, for a, a desire to stir in us, Lord, to be hungry for you, to be more hungry for you, to seek you out, Lord, and, and, and uh, whatever it is that you have for us, God, that you would reveal that to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So to start, um, I just want to kind of give a definition of healing as just a generic definition of healing. It's the process of making or becoming sound or healthy again. The process of making or becoming sound or healthy again. And the key word here is that it's a process. Um, let me point out really quickly too on your handout, you're going to find like bullet points of the kind of the summary of each of our sections here. So you can take notes on it if you want to. Um, we're going to be throwing kind of a lot of scripture at you. And we put most all of the scriptures in here, so you don't need to try to scribble down the scripture references. Um, if you follow kind of along in the sections, you should be able to find most all of the scriptures that we're going to be covering. So, like I was saying, healing is a process. And a process is something that takes time. It could be a fast process, it could be a slow process, it could be any, any process in between. It's something that could be immediate. It could happen just like that if that is God's will for that particular process, but it may not be. And in order for, for a process like this, in, in talking about something like a spiritual, physical healing, a supernatural thing to take place, 
you're going to need a key ingredient, which is faith. Faith is required in something like this. And it's so important that you don't give up when that healing is not immediate. When this process, when you're going through this process of healing, it's important not to give up when you don't see immediate results. There's a story in Mark in the New Testament, and this is in your notes if you want to follow. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. They, they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man, Jesus, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. You see, sometimes you have to blindly take Jesus by the hand. This man couldn't see where he was going. He didn't know where Jesus was going to take him. Sometimes you have to blindly grab the hand of Jesus and let him lead you somewhere. Jesus took this man by the hand, led him outside of the town. The man didn't know where he was going, but he trusted Jesus and he went with him. And then you need to trust whatever unconventional sort of method God may use for your healing. Could be you're going to get spit in the face. I'm sure that man did not wake up that morning and think, oh, if only Jesus would spit in my face today, then I would be able to see. God could use any kind of an unconventional method, and we need to just trust him again that whatever that method is going to be is going to be good, and it's going to be, you know, for the glory of him, you know, for our healing to take place. And don't lose heart when full restoration isn't immediate. You know, we said that already, but it's so important not to lose heart. See, that man was spit in the face. Jesus touched his eyes. And then what did Jesus say? He says, do you see anything? The man says, well, kind of. I mean, I see some things that people look like trees walking around. He could have stopped there and said, oh, it must be that's all Jesus could do. Must be that's, that's it. You know, he could have lost heart. He could have just been like, well... Oh, well, would you, well, maybe that's better than nothing. I guess I can see better than I could earlier. And so let's just, let's just call it good. You know, let, he didn't give up and he didn't lose heart. He just trusted God and he waited for that process to happen. It doesn't say that he did anything. It doesn't say that the man said anything. The very next thing it says is that once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So the second time that Jesus put his hands on him, that's when they were open in the full restoration. The full healing took place at that point. You have to wait for the process. You have to trust God and wait for whatever it is that he's going to do, however unconventional it may seem, and just trust God that he is going to complete whatever it is that he started. Now, this power that Jesus had, this power to, to heal people, is the exact same power that we possess today. That may seem like a radical thought because probably not very often do you walk up to somebody and spit in their face and say, God's going to heal your eyes. You won't be blind anymore. You know, you don't really see that sort of thing. But faith, again, we're going to be talking a lot about faith today. Faith is the key ingredient. This is what you have to have in order to press into this gift of physical healing. When somebody gets healed, I've heard it said that you're not actually getting healed right then. You're, you're, you're getting healed, but what you're doing is accessing something that took place 2,000 years ago. You're accessing something that was put into an account with your name on it 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died on the cross, he took with him all of the sin and all of the sickness, the weight of this world. He took it all with him in death. And then when he rose again, he bridged 
he bridged that so that we then could be free. So that we have access to the power. We have the ability to have freedom from physical ailments and sickness and things like that. And from death. And so what we're doing is essentially we're just learning how to access that. We're learning how we can um, tap into what was already accomplished. This isn't being accomplished right now. This was already accomplished 2,000 years ago. So what we need to know is how can we access that thing that was accomplished 2,000 years ago. Because your name is on an account. It's on an account. It's there. The power is there. We have access to this power. So how can we get it? That is the question. In John 14, 12, it says, Whoever, this is Jesus talking, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus couldn't stay with us forever. It was not a part of the Father's plan. The Father's plan was for him to go back to heaven until he comes again. Well, we're not only called to be imitators of Christ, to be Christ-like, but Jesus is actually asking us to step up into greater works than what he did. You're going to do greater things than these. He's talking about the works that he did, the things that he did. You're going to do greater things than these things. Matthew 17, 20 says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. They're not saying you have to have a great faith to start with. They're not saying you have to come before the Father already believing that this mountain is going to move because you just know it in your heart. that it's Come with the faith that you have. Come with faith the size of a mustard seed. That's pretty small. That's, that's a tiny bit of faith. And, and God is saying, if that's all you have, you can still say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. It's going to move because the power, God's power that is within us can do that in you and through you. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to, um, oops, sorry. Paul is talking, 1 Corinthians 4.19, and he's saying to, to some people, he's saying, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Paul knew he was going to know these people's godliness by what? By the power they were displaying. What is the power that they're displaying? Signs and wonders. He was going to go and check these people out. He didn't want to hear what they had to say. Because the kingdom of God is not of talk. I could see her and talk all day. But the kingdom of God is not just about talk. He wanted to go and see. I'm going to measure their godliness based on the signs and the wonders that I'm seeing. Are they talking? Or are they actually living out what they believe? Are they living out what they're telling people? Are they actually displaying signs and wonders? Also, interestingly, in the New Testament, you, you'll read over and over again, this man was full of the Holy Spirit, that man was full of the Holy Spirit, these men were full of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, what that meant, that phrase, men full of the Holy Spirit, it was referring to the people who were moving in healings and miracles and signs and wonders. So if you were characterized as somebody who was uh, a man or a woman full of the Holy Spirit, it meant that you were displaying the, the miracles and the signs and the wonders. Here's the thing. We're full of the same Holy Spirit, are we not? That same Holy Spirit then that those men were full of is the same, the very same Holy Spirit today that we're full of. So 
Does that not mean that we have access to that same power, that we can move and be known as people who are moving in healings and signs and wonders and in the power of God? So I think if you could just catch a glimpse of the revelation that is available to us, it would just radically change your, your perspective on, on this. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In his mighty power, the power that is in us, like I, I've mentioned, it's not our power. We can't muster it up. We can't make it happen. We can't put it there. There's not one thing that we ourselves as human beings can do to create this power. It's not our power. It's his power through us. In Acts, talking about Peter, it says, When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? There's a man who can't walk. These guys come pray for him. He can walk. People are amazed. What did they do? They just made that man. And he's like, no. You think that we could have done this? We can't do this. This isn't our power or our godliness. There's nothing that we can do to have made this happen. Only the power that is at work within us could make something like this happen. We can't manipulate this power. We can't, like I said, we can't conjure it up. There's nothing we can do. The Lord chooses to use us by releasing his power through us. This is the power that we have access to. It's the Lord's power, his choosing to use us, us being willing to be used by him, and his power literally just moving through us for other people or for ourselves. And this is how we have the ability to possess the power. It's not our power. It's God's power through us. In Mark, it says, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So these men were out preaching. Very same thing that we preach. Very same Bible, very same scriptures. These men are out preaching, and the Lord was with them. And he showed that he was with them by accompanying the words that were being preached by the signs and the wonders. This is the same thing today, the same scriptures today. We share the same gospel today, and we can allow God to back up these same scriptures, the things that we're preaching, with signs and wonders and healings and miracles. Yeah, so not only do we have the power within us that, that God has given us, we're actually commanded to use that power and to heal people. That's actually a command for us to be healing people. In uh, Matthew 10.8, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, um, he said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So he actually gave this command to the disciples. He said, you got to go heal people. You're going to go preach to people and then you're going to heal them. Um, and that wasn't, that's not a command for just then. That's a command for today. We're supposed to be healing people today. So you can imagine, though, that if we've been given the power to heal and um, we're going to go out and heal, Satan doesn't like that. He doesn't want us to go out and heal. He doesn't want the gospel to be confirmed through healings. Satan wants to destroy that. He wants to destroy our power and our faith. And he has tactics he uses to try to destroy our faith and try to diminish that power. He doesn't want us to operate in that power. He wants to destroy that. Um, and so he'll attack us in that same, in, 
in our physical health, he'll attack us because if we feel like we can't, like, what, how, how can I go out and heal someone if I can't, you know, I'm sick myself and I can't heal myself. How am I supposed to go heal somebody else? Um, so he'll attack, he'll attack that area. And I, I'm going to split up into two, basically two different kinds of attacks. Um, there's major illnesses, diseases, sicknesses that people have. And um, first of all, I don't believe that we're ever supposed to just live with those diseases and sicknesses. Um, and then uh, we'll talk more about that later. And then there's constant daily attacks. Attacks are continually coming at our health. Seems like daily. You know, you get pains, you get you get sore throats. You have you have a feeling in your arm that you feel like, you know, what is this pain? And, and it gets scary. You start to wonder, what's this? What is this? What am I feeling in my hand? Is it arthritis? And you, you know, it, it's. It can be scary, and Satan will lie to you about those feelings that you have. He lies to you and tells you, you've got this, or, you know, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. You've got this pain. So, Satan's lies are very powerful. Satan is the father of lies. And you can imagine what his lies, how powerful his lies are. Jesus recognized his the power of his lies. In John eight forty four. he said, you belong to your father, I think he was talking to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus recognized that he was the father of lies. He, all lies originate from Satan. The father of lies is going to have some pretty believable lies. Think about the best lies you've ever heard, the, the ones that are most convincing, those lies are the ones that are easy to believe. You know, you actually have the pain. You feel the pain. It's, it's a physical thing you're feeling, and, and he's going to lie to you about that. It, the lies come at times when you don't expect them, the, the most believable lies. So, and they're very real. And they seem like symptoms. They can, they can seem um, like, okay, you've got, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. What does that mean? And then you think, well, you diagnose it. I've got this. You know, and um, so it, it, it's easy. So, you know, that's not necessarily always the case, but... Um, I think a good way to tell if you're being lied to is if it's scary, if it's attached to fear. You know, it, really Satan doesn't... Um, there's no truth in, in what he says, and, and fear comes from Satan. And so if, if you're feeling afraid when you have this pain, you can pretty much guarantee it's probably something from Satan that he's lying to you about. If you're suddenly afraid, oh, I'm going to have arthritis or, you know, or whatever sickness, illness that, you, that you're being lied to about. So if you feel fear, it's not from God. Fear comes from Satan. It comes from believing the lie and not standing on the truth. So if you feel that fear, you need to ask God, what is the truth about this? What did God say? God said we're healed. God said 
that we've been freed from these things. So you need to take those, those questions to God. What are symptoms? They're just symptoms. Symptoms are just symptoms. It doesn't believe, mean that you have some diagnosis. It, it can, but it doesn't mean that. A diagnosis, like if you think about how a doctor typically diagnoses people, um, unless he's doing lab tests or whatever, it's usually based off of the symptoms that you have. He'll, um, he says, okay, you've got these symptoms, that must mean you've got this sickness. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to the doctor, that um, you shouldn't use medicine. I'm fine with using medicine. The problem is when we use that medicine, and um, we put that doctor above our healer. Um, we start putting our faith in the doctor instead of the healer. And so, you know, it, it, I think it's fine to use medicine if you need it, but, um, and, you know, maybe you've got pain. You can take medicine to take away the pain, but you can still push back that illness, that sickness that you're being lied to about and say, you know, I've got this pain, but that doesn't mean I've got this. So, um, and I'm saying this as fact um, from our experience. It, these are things that we've been learning, and Jen's going to talk about more about that. Um, she's got a couple stories. So, just because you have feelings that could point toward a particular diagnosis and your fear confirms it, doesn't mean you have to accept it as truth over yourself. And the fact is, if you accept it as truth over yourself and you allow that illness to, to be named and, and mine, it's a lot harder to uh, pray against it. It's a lot harder to have faith that you don't have it if you've already accepted it. In. So we need to push back those sicknesses. Take the medicine if you need to feel better, but push back those sicknesses. Jesus said, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. All power and authority in heaven and on earth. And he gave that very power to us. So that means that we have all power and authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. If we have all power and all authority, what does Satan have? What power is left for Satan to have? He only has the power that we give him. The power that he has is only what we allow him to have. You are able to give power to the lie Satan is telling you. And you can actually undermine um, God's word to you, God's power in your life, by giving that control over to Satan. By giving those lies power in your life. And Jen's going to talk a little about that. Yeah, so um, from my own personal life as just a, a testimony of something that happened to me, uh, something that became apparent shortly after we got married was that I would grind my teeth at night. I didn't know it until then, and I knew it then because he'd wake me up all night long, every night, night after night, Jen, you grind your teeth, Jen, you grind your teeth, Jen, you grind your teeth. And I'm like, can you just let me sleep already? But it was such a, like, he was actually getting concerned that maybe it was a problem because it was some pretty serious grinding, enough that it was waking him up 
night after night after night all night long. Well, after a little while, we decided maybe we should talk to the dentist about this. Maybe this is actually a problem. This was a long time ago now. I don't even, how long have we been married? Like 12 years, 13 years? I don't know. 13 years? I should know this, right? I have five kids. I don't have to know anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this was, you know, 13 years ago uh, that this, this problem started. Went to the dentist and he said, well, okay, well, what kinds of symptoms are you having? What are the things that you're noticing? So I told him, well, I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm grinding my, that's what he says. He says, I'm grinding my teeth at night. He says, well, do you have any other kinds of symptoms? Do you, I mean, do you like have headaches? I said, well, actually I have been having a lot of headaches. I, actually, I wake up with a headache about every day. Oh, oh, okay. How about any pain in your face, like in your jaw? Actually, I, actually, I have had that too. I have. Well, how about, how about like in the temple area or how about like in the neck? Yeah. Suddenly these symptoms that he's asking me if I've had are becoming mine. Yeah, I've had all of these things. In fact, I've lived with this stuff for years. I thought it was just me. It was just my body. I would just wake up with these terrible headaches every day. It was just what happened. And so he says, well, you know what? You have TMJ. And I thought, TM what? Well, apparently it's this acronym, which stands for, in case you're curious, uh, temporomandibular disorder, which basically means you grind and clench your teeth. Fancy name, TMJ. So for 10 years, from that moment on, for the next 10 years, I lived every day with TMJ. I had TMJ. I told people I have TMJ. I saw three different dentists in that 10 years. I saw a TMJ specialist and I saw two different orthodontists thinking that somebody could help me because now that I knew what the problem was, I just knew that if I could find the right guy who could help me, then the pain would go away. The headaches and the, all of that would just go away. And I had been told if you wear the right kind of mouth appliance or mouth guard or something like that, then the pain should go away theoretically. And these appliances are about $800 a piece. At least that's what I had to pay. And I had four different ones made in 10 years that I had paid for because I was desperate. You know, when you're living with a pain that's real and it really hurts and you have headaches day after day after day and all this pain, it would be so bad. I would get up in the morning and I couldn't open my mouth sometimes. I couldn't chew anything in the morning. My jaw would just be so tired and worn out. And that pain is so real and you're just kind of starting to feel a little bit afraid or desperate for something. You know, you just need something, somebody to help you with it. And then, you know, in that 10 years, there were actually times where I would try something and I thought, I think I actually feel a little bit better. Maybe like 40%, maybe like 40% better than I have felt in years. Maybe. There were so many variables though. Like, you know, how hard did you clench? Did you clench the night before? Are you stressed? How much sleep did you get? Like, were you actually sleeping? Were you in bed long enough to sleep that you could have clenched? And you have so many variables you don't even know, you know, to say, are you actually feeling better or not? Well, I had this fourth appliance, which was the last appliance that I had. And um, it was called an NTI appliance, which I don't even know what that stands for, but it clipped onto the bottom of the front of my bottom teeth. And uh, I went, this is when I was seeing the actual TMJ specialist, and he had said to me at that time, when he gave it to me, go home and see if you notice any difference in your bite changing, because this appliance has been known to cause a change in bite. Your teeth might shift a little bit. 
Well, wouldn't you know it? I went home that day and I was eating my lunch, chewing my food. Suddenly I bite the inside of my cheek. First, not kidding, first thought I had, my bite is changing. Something's wrong. My bite must be changing. Must be something bad is happening. Another problem. Come to think of it, I've been biting the inside of my cheek for like a week or two, big, like big, serious chunks out of the inside of my mouth. I know that's disgusting, but it was happening sometimes three to five times a day. And like my mouth was so swollen on the inside and so sore because it was just like constantly my back teeth are just chomping down when I least expect it and biting big chunks out of the inside of my mouth. And I was like, surely this must be because of the appliance. It must be. That has got to be why this is happening. Well, I called the TMJ specialist right away and they got me in immediately and they said, now we need to start doing these things called occlusal adjustments. Now we need to start shaving off tooth enamel to even out your bite. This was so painful. I went in there for almost an hour at a time and this man would grab my jaw and he would open it and chomp it down on, top, on this carbon paper and see where my bite is touching in different parts and he would grind off tooth enamel all over the place and chomp and chomp and bite and it was so painful. I would fight back tears the whole time I was there and I had to go for several of these appointments. Well, the last one that I went to, I, I left and I got in my car and I just started crying. I couldn't do it anymore. It had been 10 years and here I was feeling completely desperate, feeling more pain than I had felt in years, knowing something is wrong. Something is, this cannot be the right thing to do. Letting this man grind off tooth enamel cannot be the right thing to do. I just knew that that could not be what was best for my mouth. And so in that moment, in my moment of desperation, I cried out to God. I pressed into God and I said, I, I don't know what to do. You need to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm at the end of my resources here. I don't know what else to do, but I know that I cannot do this anymore. Well, God was faithful and he led us um, through a series of things to go see this other man who said, nope, sorry, I can't help you, but I know who can. He said, there's a man in Chicago. And he said, this man is brilliant. You're going to pay a lot of money to go see him. It was going to be about $350 for an hour. They don't take insurance. You had to pay on the spot. Minimum $350. And he's like the elite of all of the elites. This guy has written um, hundreds of articles. He's taught thousands of lectures. He's written a book about TMJ. You, you, you can hardly even get in for an appointment to this guy. He's so well-known and famous. You know, he's, he's in Chicago. I thought, surely this is it. Surely this is the man who can help us. Surely this is it. He is the one that we need to go to. So we set up our appointment and felt really a lot of peace about going to see this man. Well, at the time that this was happening, I actually had written it all down because it was quite a thing that we were going through. And uh, I'm actually going to, I feel like I could summarize it for you, but how I, I feel like how I wrote it was actually pretty powerful. And so if you don't mind, it's going to take a few minutes to read this, but this is kind of the end of the story of when I went to go and see this elite man in Chicago. It says, my appointment began with this new guy and he was cutthroat. He was all business. He wanted exact dates and time frames, symptoms, starts and stops of symptoms, regularity of symptoms, frequency of symptoms, past doctors I'd seen and what their diagnosis was, all the treatments I tried, exactly how I responded to each of them and on and on. I gave him every bit of information that I could, and I was clear and as concise as humanly possible. I was detailed and thorough, and I was getting simply exhausted. At the end of his hour and a half, he said the most profound thing. He said, if this whole thing is tracked back to the beginning, 
back to 10 years before that, this is two years ago that this whole thing happened. This is two years ago from today. He said, we have our first instrument introduced, which is called pain. He's calling this first instrument pain. Pain, pain is playing its song as often as it wants, usually in the form of headaches and hurt in the face and jaw and neck region, and frequently in the morning time, but it's only playing solo. This instrument called pain is just playing a song by itself. Until one day when nighttime grinding and clenching comes into the picture. Now there are two instruments playing. Still, each one his own song independently, until one day a doctor joins the two together and calls it TMJ. See, I had been having the headaches before we were married. And then I was having the nighttime clenching and grinding after we were married, I thought. And then I go see a dentist. The dentist, you know, he says, oh, you've had this. Oh, you've had this. Let's join these two instruments together and call it TMJ. Okay, I lost my spot. Just a second. Okay, it says, so one day the doctor joins the two together and calls it TMJ and thus creates an entire orchestra of future problems, bearing in mind there are still only two instruments that are playing in this orchestra. As the years go on, this orchestra gets louder and louder and louder and gets fed every time another doctor joins on board with approving this diagnosis and sticks yet another piece of plastic in my mouth. Let's stop here a second and mention that 100% of the population, this is what this elite professional told me, 100% of the population grinds or clenches their teeth. Out of 100%, 100% do this. Most of them have no problems because of it. Now, with this orchestra blaring its music above all else, Dr. One comes in and throws plastic at pain, thinking he's a double hero. He's not only taking care of the clenching and grinding and wearing away all of this tooth enamel that everybody's so concerned about, but it's also solving my years of agonizing and confusing pain. The problem was he was wrong. Now, if you fast forward a little bit, I've totally accepted this diagnosis. I'm living with it. It's mine. This is what I have. This is my diagnosis. I'd like to think that I was praying about it the whole time, which, you know, I was, but I obviously I wasn't completely there. You know, I wasn't living in the fullness that, that God could have had for me. And you'll see why when I get to the end. Um, and the two-man band plays on. The years go by and each person I meet says and does the exact same things, yet the results are never any different. Why doesn't anyone ever question why? Why start with the same thing the last guy did, knowing it did nothing? See, these same people would give me the same mouth guards time and time again, thinking that they were going to solve my problem, but it wasn't helping. And they never asked, well, why isn't this helping? The two instruments have become so in tune with each other. Now they're, they've created a marriage bond with each other. And they're producing illegitimate offspring, one mouth appliance after another, with no positive results. Nothing, nothing is changing. And apparently, it's very well known that occlusal adjustments, when they were shaving off the tooth enamel, should rarely to never be done in today's day and age. This form of grinding or filing away at the teeth is about one of the worst things you can possibly do. If you stop it soon enough, your mouth can and will be forgiving of you and naturally adjust itself back to normal. Well, I count my blessings that the Holy Spirit prompted me to stop when I did because it was not meant for me to be a casualty of that. My teeth have, in fact, adjusted back to normal in the last two weeks. So what about the bite changing because of the NTI appliance? Remember, I was biting my cheeks. What about that? Well, both not likely connections. The appliance could have caused a very small change, but not one that would cause so much trouble and would require all of those adjustments of shaving the tooth enamel. Oh, and sometimes people just bite their cheeks. 
Imagine that. It happens. When the cheek is swollen up because you bit it, you tend to bite it again. Exactly. <laughs> right. When you get told, though, it's because your bite is changing, you get afraid and become way more conscientious of it. And guess what? You bite your cheek again. It happens. You know, suddenly it's becoming more of a psychological issue, and you're, you're constantly thinking about it all the time. Well, what about all the times when I thought I was 40% better? He called me, as I've been called by professionals before, quite the optimist. Imagine that. Somebody calling me an optimist. He thinks that I was hoping so badly for change and improvement that I actually believed whatever the new person was telling me because I wanted to see change. I'd like to think that it was just faith. You know, I was believing that something good would come out of it, but I don't, I don't really know. You know, they just called me an optimist. What about all of that significant wearing of the tooth enamel that all these professionals over the last 10 years have been concerned about? Well, guess what? He looked at my teeth and he, remember, he's, he's like the top of the top. He's like, you don't have any worse wearing than any other average person that I could pull off the street right now. There is nothing in your mouth right now that seems like a warning flag to me that you've been grinding away all of this enamel that you need to be concerned about. So why all of the pain then that I was having in my face and jaw and in my temples? Now that's the question. And he said, it's definitely not TMJ. And thus I emerged from my prison. I have been listening to this orchestra play for the last 10 years and I believed it was all true. The pain is real because I can really feel it. The diagnosis though of joining the pain with clenching was a lie but I believed it. I accepted it in and I lived a slave to it for 10 years. TMJ is something that very few people actually fall into the category of. This is what the man told me. And of those people, 99.99% of them are actually helped by using an appliance. The pain goes away. The symptoms are relieved by using those mouth appliances, the nighttime guards or whatever it is. So the question, he said, should have been, when nothing was helping, is it actually TMJ? Not what else can we try to help your TMJ? Is it actually TMJ? So his suggestion was for me to go to the University of um, Michigan or Ann Arbor, see some pain specialist or neurologist, and check out all of this pain that was happening. And I, I heard what he was saying, and I, I thought, okay, I'll think about that later. But I it says, I was walking out of that place completely numb. My mind was flooded with thoughts, but mostly disbelief that I did not actually have TMJ. I only just believed that I did. This man told me, you don't have TMJ. What? What do you mean I don't have TMJ? I've had TMJ for 10 years and he's like, no. And he proved it to me with all of his points, you know, everything that he said, every one of the things that I told him, well, I've had this and this and this, and they told me it was because of this. He said all of those, he, he justified each of those things by how it was not TMJ. This man, obviously not a Christian, I don't need to tell you how I knew that, but obviously not a Christian, is giving me the key to unlock the prison door I've been trapped inside and allowing me to simply walk out. I knew in that moment I could choose to believe him and trust that what he was saying was true, or I could close that door up tight, walk out of there, think that what he was saying was a lie, and choose to live in that prison cell where I'd been living for the last 10 years. My only solid thought in that moment was, I need to check this against the word of God. And if I can align, align it with the word of God, then I'm going to know what's true. Then it became clear. In my mind's eye, I suddenly emerged from a dark, disease-ridden prison. I'd been keeping myself locked in for the last 10 years. I stood just outside of the doorway of this dungeon where the keeper and master of lies dwells. And I took a deep breath of freedom. 
It was the sweetest of breaths I maybe have ever taken or tasted. And I knew for the first time in a long time that I was completely unbound and unshackled and that I was free. I knew it in my spirit. I could see it. I could feel it. I I was there. I saw it. God was allowing me to almost in a physical sense feel every aspect of this walking out of this and knowing I had been holding the keys to let myself out the whole time for 10 years. But I didn't know it because I was living a slave to the lies that I had that thing. But in front of me now, to steal away my sense of freedom was a wall as thick as could be and as wide as the eye could scan hundreds of new prisons. Feeling a sudden sense of defeat, I I knew I was going to be locked away once again, chasing a new diagnosis down a whole new road. Then, just as quickly, came the spirits of depression and frustration and anger to hold my hand and guide me toward my new master. Because he says, well, you don't have this. What you need to do is go see somebody else to find out what you do have. And so before me was all this like, I'm free. Oh, I'm not actually free. I actually kind of just need to pick a new master. I need to pick something else to go lock myself in now. And that's what God had shown me at that time. Well, the next morning, it says I woke up and I drank in this new day without having slept with plastic in my mouth for the first time in what will be forevermore, knowing deep down in my spirit that I am free. Then came an even deeper revelation that just as I allowed myself to become a slave to the lie of TMJ, even though the diagnosis made sense and the pain felt so real, I could, so could any other diagnosis I would get. Any other diagnosis anyone would give me at that point could feel real. It could make sense and I could lock myself to it and I could live a slave to that then too. I could spend the rest of my life chasing these labels and I could walk into any number of prisons or I could simply be free. So, um, I ended up calling Anthony at work that day and I said, guess what? I'm done. I'm done not doing it anymore. I'm not going to the university of nothing. I'm not going to see anyone. I am done. God has shown me that I am free and that I can be free. And it's the first time I have ever felt this free in my life. It's so liberating and I'm, I'm done. He was like, wow, Jen, congratulations on your newfound freedom. (laughs) He's just like, whatever. Like I fully support this. If this, you know, if God, if this is what God is doing in you, then I support this. And guess what else? Mind you, this was two years ago. I've not had one single symptom Not one single problem since that day. Not one headache in the morning. Not one pain chewing food. Not, I don't even bite, I'm by the inside of my mouth. That's not a frequent thing that people probably do, but that hasn't happened either. Not one of those things. And I want you to understand this is my personal story. This was something personal for me. This was a journey that God took me on. I only wished it hadn't taken 10 years. But in that 10 years, God was faithful. He never left my side. He was there the whole time. He was, he was leading me, you know, where I needed to go. But it was when I got to a point where I completely cried out in desperation for God to lead me and guide me, he revealed so much more than I ever could have imagined. This was my story. This was something that God wanted to reveal to me about lies that I was believing, about a label and a diagnosis that I was believing and choosing, choosing to live in. But the freedom for me was found in realizing these are just lies. These are nothing more than lies. I don't have to live a slave to this anymore. And that was where my freedom was found. So isn't it interesting that that pain never came back? I think, I think Satan will continue to attack you in an area where you're experiencing pain as long as you're believing those lies. Um, he no longer saw a reason to attack that because... She wasn't going to believe it anymore. 
Um, so you can see how that diagnosis became her label. It became who she was. She was a TMJ patient. And it actually, I think a lot of times that's what happens is um, we become that person. That's who we are. And um, a lot of times I think we almost want the, the label because it helps us to understand why we feel those feelings, you know. We want explanation as to why we have this pain. Um, and I think other reasons why we sometimes want a label is, um, and maybe more for children, um, and Jen's going to talk about that in a minute, um, we want people to feel bad for us. We want attention about that pain. We want attention. I have this problem. This is me. Feel bad for me, you know. Um, and Jen's going to talk about that now. <laughs> People should not have given me a microphone. <laughs> oh, just kidding. So, <laughs> Ava, our oldest daughter, this is a story pertaining to her. A uh, couple years ago, uh, she, I guess she was probably about five at the time. She's seven now. She, some of you have heard this story actually, she loves cats. Loves, 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 loves cats. Had been around cats. We had an outside cat. She played with it all the time. Everything was great and fine with that. Well, one day, I was down at my sister's house in Indiana, and she had an outdoor cat. Ava's playing with his cat. No problem. We left the house and went into town to go to this thing. And in the car on the way there, she started saying, Oh, my mommy, my eye is hurting. My eye is hurting. My eyes are it's burning and it's really itching. And she's crying and Prissy's just screaming. And I'm like, get yourself under control, child. You're probably just tired. Like, it, it's gonna be fine. Just you know, rub your rub your eye. No, don't rub your eye. You're probably making it worse by rubbing your eye. Leave your eye alone. You're gonna be fine. Just stop crying. This is we're going to do something fun. Just stop crying. And so she finally like. Keeps it in, I guess. We get where we're going, and I have not once looked at her eye. I'm driving, so I can't really do anything about it anyway. We get there. We're walking all the way, this long, long ways from the car to get down to this park where we're seeing, like, a Civil War reenactment thing, which I really wanted to see. So there's, I'm pushing my agenda there. So she's, like, crying the whole way. My eye's really burning. My eye's really burning. I'm, pull, I'm pulling her behind, you know. She's like, it hurts really bad. And I'm like, what is going on? So I get down on my knees, and I look at her, and I'm like, uh, Kathy, uh, can you come here a second? Uh, just a second, honey. What, what is that? What is that? What's the matter with your eye? Everything's okay. Uh, just, just a second. Don't touch your eye. Just a second. Her eye, her eyeball itself, and this is really disgusting. I'm telling a lot of gross stuff, but her eyeball itself was actually sticking out of the socket. Not the eyelid, not the skin, the eyeball itself was sticking way out of the socket. Like, if she was sideways, you could see her eyeball sticking out of the socket. And I'm just like, I've never seen anything like that before. That can't be good. I don't know. She must have gotten something in her eye when she was outside or something. I said, I think we probably better take her to the ER or something. Can you just show me how to get there? Let's just, we better just take her in. And so we get there. And the doctor, he's actually an amazing Christian man. He's actually a pastor of the church down there. My sister knew him very well. And he was um, on staff that night. Well, actually, he was leaving, but they went and chased him down. They were like, come back and see this one more patient. Okay, I want to stay past my shift. Sure. Well, he came in. He was like, oh, this is, this is fine. She's going to be okay. Just out of curiosity, has she been around any animals or anything? Because usually this sort of thing is triggered by animals. And I was like, no. 
Well, I mean, I guess she was around my sister's cat, but she doesn't have a problem with cats. And he says, actually, it kind of looks to me like maybe she does. And he gives this great medical explanation as to how your body can actually lose a resistance to something rather than build up an immunity. It can lose a resistance. And so he said, it's possible that she has lost her resistance to this animal dander or whatever it is. And now she will probably have to live with this for the rest of her life. And she will probably be allergic to cats for the rest of her life. You're gonna, we're going to give her an antihistamine. We're going to give her a strong dose and we're going to repeat it and it'll go down. It'll be fine. Her eye will go back to normal, but you're going to need to carry an antihistamine with you in your purse, wherever you go, because you never know when this sort of thing is going to happen. You have no idea when this could happen and it could be much, much, much worse than this when it does. So I'm like, what are you telling me? Like, this seems bad that she's going to have this serious ailment for the rest of her life. Are you, are you, are you kidding me? Are, what? She loves cats. How am I going to make her leave cats alone? This doesn't make any sense. Well, she heard the doctor say that. She's probably going to be allergic to cats for the rest of her life. And so we left and she's like, does, does that mean I'm allergic to cats? And, and I thought, how do I answer this? Like, this goes against everything I believe, everything in me. I said, no. We're going to talk to daddy about this and he's going to tell <laughs> he's going to tell us what we think about this. That's what we're going to do. But right now, we're just not going to talk about this. Well, of course, I have a wonderful husband who who is, you know, amazing. He says, "Honey, you're not allergic to cats. You're just a little bit sensitive, but God is going to heal you. God is going to heal you." So for now, yes, you are a little bit sensitive. We need to be careful. But no, you're not allergic to cats. Refusing to claim that label over her and accept that label in and say, yes, this is what you have and you have to live with it. He said, no, that is not what you have. We are not going to receive that. We're not going to accept that. That is just what they said. But that doesn't mean that that's what it is. What it is is you just have a little bit of a sensitivity right now. God's going to heal you, so don't worry. And in the meantime, we're going to do what we need to do to help with this. And she didn't have a ton of exposure to cats for a long time. And, and when she did, she could no more than walk into somebody's house, never even see the cat, and her eyes would go crazy. Out of just crazy, 30 seconds. 30 seconds after stepping into a house that had a cat, her eye would literally swell out of its socket again. And I'd have to rush her home and give her the medicine. Well, every time we gave her medicine, we prayed for her. And we, we rebuked it. And we prayed for her that God was going to heal her. And we thanked him for the healing that he was doing and that she was not going to have to live with us. Well, time went on. She started to, um, I think, slowly want more of that label. And her friends would say something to her like, oh, are you allergic to cats? She'd say, yeah, I'm allergic to cats. And she'd kind of say it with almost a smile. But in that moment when her eyes were sticking out of their sockets, she was afraid. She didn't want that label anymore. In that moment when the pain was there and she was scared, she didn't want it anymore. And we would reassure her and tell her, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. You don't have to worry about this. It's going to go away. Well, as we prayed, things started to get a little bit better. And we didn't really know why, but we would pray for her. We'd give her the medicine if she had symptoms. And then we started washing her eye out. Like, it was, it was terrible. It was torture. We would flush her eyes out with water, um, thinking that maybe that would help just rinse out whatever was causing it to happen. Well, then slowly, we would pray for her and then wash her eyes out and then maybe give her the medicine, maybe not. And the first time we tried that, it was so scary because we didn't know what was going to happen. We had no idea what was going to happen if we didn't give her that medicine. When you know it, her eye didn't swell up. And so then we started just praying for her and washing her eyes out. Then we were just praying for her. Well, it just so happened that one night she was laying in bed. And she said she, was, she hadn't been around a cat or anything. She was just laying in bed and she said, 
She didn't tell me the story till the next day. And this is when she's six now. A whole year later, she's been living like this. When she's six, she says she was laying in bed, and suddenly she said she felt afraid. She felt really afraid. Suddenly she thought her eyes were stinging. Suddenly she thought her eyes were burning. Suddenly she thought they were itching. And suddenly she thought that something was happening, that she was having a reaction. And then in that moment, she said she heard something say to her, you don't have to believe that. So she said that she said out loud, that's a lie, Satan. That's a lie and I'm not going to believe it. Then she said she just fell asleep. It went away and she just fell asleep. And she told me about it the next day. And I said, well, what happened? She said, I don't know. I just fell asleep. It just stopped hurting. And I was like, my six-year-old just had a little thing with spiritual warfare happen. And she denounced the enemy and rebuked him and sent him back to his proper place. And she was totally healed in that moment. Not one time after that did she have an exposure to a cat and have a reaction. In fact, through a faith, like a journey of faith, um, we felt prompted to get a cat, an inside cat. It was kind of a challenge to all of our faith as a family. You know, what are we going to believe? Are we going to stand in this freedom and in this truth that she is healed and that, that that's not going to be a problem anymore? And with having this inside cat, she has not one time had a reaction ever, ever again. Not to other people's cats, not to our cats, nothing ever again. She was totally free. This next part that we're going to dive into is going to be talking about how to heal. How do we, you know, we know that we have the power. We understand we can start to maybe recognize when we're being lied to and these sorts of things, but what do we do with all that? How can we actually heal? How can we receive healing for ourselves? How can we pray for somebody else and receive healing for them? This is going to seem like a bold statement that I'm about to say, so just brace yourself. Don't be offended. I found myself in the same position. But Christians who ignore Jesus' command, remember because it was a command, he said, Heal the sick, raise the dead. That's what he said. It was a command. People, Christians, who have ignored this command, oftentimes will wake up one day to the need of a physical healing, potentially for themselves, potentially for a family member, a close friend. And all of a sudden, you get to this point where you're just like, I need to... I need to know how to do this. I need to know what to do. Suddenly you realize, I don't know how to do this. This person is terminally sick. This person suddenly has this disease or whatever it is. And you suddenly realize, I don't know how to do anything about it. Well, you have to realize, first of all, you've ignored the command to heal. You've actually neglected to do what you were commanded to do all along. But... The good thing is, is that God can use a crisis like that to bring you back to him, to bring you back to his will, something that causes you to cry out to him. You need to know, though, that praying for a family member or a close friend is one of the hardest places to start. You have so many connections with that person, so many of your own personal emotions and feelings tied in, but don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel like, you know, I, I just, I can't do this because it's so-and-so or whatever. The thing is, if you realize that, the, the ch that there's a challenge in praying for somebody who's close to you or praying for a family member, and you do the, the proper step, first would, would be to repent. Repent for not doing this command. And just, it, it sounds like a fancy word, but really all you do is say, oh my goodness, God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't been living this out. I'm sorry that I haven't been doing this thing. I'm sorry that, um, you know, you've commanded me to be healing people and I haven't been doing it. Because that, that being in that place of repentance is going to actually be able to expand your kingdom experience. You're giving it all to Jesus in that moment. 
And you're laying yourself before him and you're allowing him then to do with you whatever he wants to do. And it's going to increase your confidence before the Lord. It's going to cause breakthroughs in other areas of your life because you're subjecting yourself to him and whatever he wants to do at that very moment. And when you do that, when you're tapping into that spiritual, the supernatural spiritual realm, this momentum is going to be created in you. Suddenly you're going to be having this increase in, in this understanding of the miracle, like the miraculous realm of things. And God is going to allow you to see things and he's going to take you places. All simply by realizing, I haven't been doing this thing. God, I'm really sorry that I haven't been doing this thing. Allow me, Lord, to do this thing, whatever it is, and, and just... You know, remember, you don't have to have a great faith. You don't have to come with a great faith. You can just say, this is who I am. This is what I have, God. Use me as you would see fit. So to have that, that atmosphere of faith, to create that atmosphere of faith, you have to start with an overwhelming awareness of the need and the impossibility of the situation at hand. You have to realize that the assignment is from God. It's impossible for you to do anything about it. You can't create a miracle, remember. And that alone should make you realize, I can't do this. It's going to take you to the end of your resources, which is the beginning of God's resources. When you get to the end of yourself, that's when God can start. That's when God can step in. And that's where faith is really going to come into play. Because faith is the primary tool that you're going to use to access. Remember, we're talking about accessing the power. And it's going to be the tool you're going to use to access the power and to allow that release to happen <clears throat> for everything that he's already made available. See, this kind of faith, it pursues. It pursues. It's relentless. It's reflective of God's nature. This kind of a faith <clears throat> is believing that God is a rewarder. There's a verse, um, let's see, in Hebrews, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not good enough to just believe that God exists. It's not good enough to just know that he can heal somebody. It's not good enough to just know these things. Because remember, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You can hear these things. You could even tell somebody these things. But it doesn't matter if it's not real. It's not good enough to just know that God can do these things. The devil believes those things. He knows that God can do those things too. Faith, though, the kind of faith that we're talking about today is the faith that lives in the revelation. This faith pursues. It lives in the revelation that God is a rewarder. I am going to relentlessly pursue him with everything in me. I am going to cry out to him in desperate places. I'm going to come to the end of me so that I can be at the start of him and he can do something in me. And when I do this, he is going to reward that. When I pray for somebody for healing, he is going to reward that. He is going to show up and he is going to do something mighty because that is what he desires to do. He desires that people would be healed. He does, by his stripes, we are healed. He desires that people would be made whole. He desires that people would be um, completely, 100% healed in every way, in every shape, in every form, all of that. So what, what do you do to pray for somebody then? What's a practical thing you can do to pray for somebody? Let's say God reveals to you, walking down the street, coming out of the grocery store, you just got out of your car, it doesn't matter who or where, somebody at church, I don't know, it doesn't matter. God reveals to you a word of knowledge about somebody. They're sick. Maybe it seems obvious that they're sick. Maybe you don't need God to tell you that. You just see that somebody is sick or you notice 
something. You know, I think oftentimes people might even say to us, man, my back is really hurting, or goodness, I just have this terrible headache. What could you do about that? Oh, I'm really sorry that's happening. I think that's oftentimes what we default to. Now, I'm sorry that that's happening. I'll pray for you. Why not say to them, especially if, some, if it's somebody that you don't know, <clears throat> I'm a Christian. Just tell them right up front, I'm a Christian. I've seen people healed when I've prayed for them, but not everyone. Doesn't happen every time. I don't promise you anything. So you're not making any guarantees that anything is going to change. But if you'll let me, I'd like to pray for you. And then it doesn't set up any, and, and it's not, I'm not saying that don't set your expectations high because that's the opposite of what I'm saying. But you're telling that person, I'm allowing room for God's will to take place in this situation. I can't do this, but if you'll let me, I would like to ask God to do something for you. And then when you get in that point for yourself or for anyone else, you can speak directly to the problem and say, Lord, I bless so-and-so's ear to open in Jesus' name. Speak to the problem, speak to the ailment, speak to whatever it is like. If you're back, somebody's back is hurt. Lord, I speak to so-and-so's back and I command it to come in line with the word of God. Or I, I speak healing into their back that it wouldn't hurt anymore. It doesn't have to be fancy words. It can just be whatever you have, whatever words you have to use. And um, something that's interesting is that sometimes we make the mistake of waiting for the full miracle to take place before we recognize that something is happening. Before we, we see any movement of God at all, we want to see full maturity of that. We want to see the process complete. So we make the mistake of not praising God in the small things. We make the mistake of not recognizing God in the small things. An example I would give is when an apple is, is growing, it's an apple. It starts out very tiny, but it's still an apple nonetheless, is it not? An apple is an apple no matter how big it is. Even when it's small, it's still recognized as an apple. When the apple comes to full fruition and it's a big apple, then you would be able to see here is the fullness of this fruit that has been growing this whole time over this long period of time. But it was still an apple to begin with. An apple is still an apple no matter how big it is. God's movement is still God's movement no matter how small the movement looks like when it starts. God wants us to rejoice in the small things, in the small beginnings. He wants us to rejoice when we just see a movement of him taking place. He doesn't want us to be disappointed when the big healings don't come right away. Sometimes he's just wanting to do something in you. I don't know, it could be just patience. It could be a lesson he's wanting you to learn that's personal for you. The scripture, in, there's a scripture in Zechariah that says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices for a work to begin. The work is beginning. Don't despise the day. Don't feel like, oh, everything is no good. It's a failure. It's not happening. I'm not seeing it. You know, in that story we told about Ava, we saw the very small beginnings and we said, yes, God is moving. Yes, God is healing her. We accepted that and we rejoiced that God was doing something, even though what I would have liked to have seen was her not having the problem in the first place, right? Or like the miraculous instant healing where suddenly her eyes sticking out. Now it's not. Boom. Done. Healed for good. But God taught her something through that. God taught all of us something through that about trusting him and pursuing him and pressing into him. And remember that we talked about in the beginning. What is healing? It's a process. Sometimes it's in increments. Sometimes it's, you know, slow. Sometimes it's a little quicker. But remember the blind man that we talked about? His wasn't immediate either, and Jesus himself touched him. His was a process. It was a two-step process in that case. Healing 
can be immediate, but it's not always immediate. And sometimes we just have to trust God. Remember, take him by the hand blindly, let him lead us and let him do in his timing, whatever he wants to do and to embrace whatever he's doing. Yeah. So it's important that we don't lose that faith. If we lose the faith because something isn't happening right away like we expect it to happen, our power is diminished, the power that God has. So so I'm going to talk a little bit about um, how to increase your faith, specifically for healing. How how can you um, grow your faith so that you can walk in the miraculous? First one is cry out to God. So you go to that secret place, you go to that that quiet place and you cry out to God. And then but there has to be more to it than that. You actually have to take a risk and and do it in public. You have to go to go and take public risks and try it. When it doesn't happen, what do you do? You go back and cry out to God again. If it happens, you give glory to God but, um, and, and thank Him for what He's doing. But when it doesn't happen, we go back to that place and we seek that breakthrough. Jesus, um, when the disciples had that happen, when um, someone wasn't healed, Jesus gave another part of that. He said, not only pray, but fast. And that was another part of um, seeking that breakthrough. You go back to the drawing board. You, you go back. You continue to cry out for God. You fast. A second way to build your faith is through Bible study. Find examples in the Bible of people who did miracles. Jesus did lots of miracles in the Bible, lots of different ways that he did miracles. And, and I think there's different ways for different sorts of things that God will put on our hearts of how we need to heal somebody. But um, that builds your faith to see those examples in the Bible because we know that we can do those same things. Research history. Find examples in history of, of the, the giants in history who, um, the kingdom giants who, who walked in that lifestyle and um, read about them. Impartation is another, another big part where um, you, you seek impartation from someone who's actually uh, walking in it. Find someone you know who's, who has a ministry of healing and have them lay their hands on you and pray. Associate with people like that. Associate with people who regularly are seeing signs and wonders. Uh, when you see those sorts of things, it builds your faith. It also rubs off. How they go about, how they live. It takes obedience Obedience actually builds your faith. Radical obedience, a life of risk, is needed for continual breakthrough in miracles, signs, and wonders. If you want to experience the the signs and wonders and, and experience those miracles, 
you have to obey. You have to step out and take that risk. If God has asked you to, to pray for somebody, you, you need to step out and do it. People are healed. The more people you pray for, the more healings you'll see. Not everyone. But people are healed when you pray for more people. Until we act on what we know, our knowledge is nothing more than a theory. So, so real learning comes from doing. We need to actually act on it. Uh, and the final way, I guess, for that I'm going to list for um, building your faith is uh, stewardship. So God will give you... Um, God's given us the, the ability to heal. And how are we going to steward that? Are we going to walk in that? And it, we'll begin to see small things happen. And, and once, once we show that we can steward those small things, we'll see bigger things. So, you, But God needs to know that you're prepared for the increase, that you're able to handle the increase. And, um, so it takes being faithful in the small things. It's good. So what happens then when you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Because when you invest all of yourself into someone and all of yourself into a situation and you are going to that secret place and you are crying out to God and you're doing everything that you know to do, you walk through this list of things, these steps, and you're doing everything that, that you can possibly do, what happens when somebody doesn't get healed? Well, we're going to call that dealing with the giant of disappointment. Disappointment is such a big giant. It's huge. And everyone pursuing this ministry of, of physical healings and signs and wonders and the miraculous, everyone pursuing this is going to be disappointed time and time again. It's going to happen. That it's just, it's just going to happen. It's a fact. We as humans get let down when things don't go the way we think that they should go. And what happens? We get disappointed. We feel disappointed. And this is actually why a lot of people have opted for a lesser gospel. If your gospel is less than what the Bible says it is, you're not going to be disappointed, are you? And if you don't have high expectations, you're seldom going to see this giant. You won't be there. You won't allow yourself to get to that point because you don't want to you don't want to feel disappointment. You don't want to be let down. And you certainly wouldn't want to feel like God is letting you down, that he's not, you know, doing that thing that you asked. And if uh, certainly and we're not going to go in depth with this, but if you have a history in your past where you have been let down, and you've been disappointed maybe with one of your parents or something where it was like they're never there. They never do what they say they're going to do. This can tap into this. And you could see God as a person who is just going to let you down. He's just going to disappoint you. He's not going to be there. And that would be an issue where you could take to God and, and work through that with God and see him for who he is, that he is not um, one to disappoint. That is not his nature. That's not who he is. In Proverbs, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. One of the most spiritually vulnerable moments for a Christian is when they face disappointment. And when that happens, it's normal to start questioning things. It's normal to start saying, why didn't that happen? Did I do something wrong? Was it not enough? Or did I... Was it how I did it or how long it took? Like what, you know, these questions are going to arise. It's going to happen. That's human nature that you're going to start questioning the what and the why. Those questions are vital in our growth, 
in our step, in our process of learning more. These questions are vital. It's gonna, they're going to be dangerous, though, when those questions, like Anthony mentioned earlier, when, when he said, you know, when we're trusting God above the doctor, when we're suddenly looking to our, our own human, like, explanation to why these questions, you know, the answers to these questions, why they didn't work out, when we look to our own human answers, suddenly what are we doing? We're doubting God, aren't we? We're doubting his, his goodness. We're doubting his promises. And we're just leaning on ourselves and what we think is true and why we think it didn't work out or whatever the case is. When you have those questions, though, what can you do with them? Those questions can be redeemed by God. You can take those questions to God and say, you know what? I don't understand why this didn't happen. I don't know why it didn't work. I did everything I knew to do. I thought that I was doing what I needed to do. Can you show me the truth here? Can you show me what happened? Can you show me what I could do differently? Go back to that secret place and cry out to God all over again. Maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants to just see, will you come back to me? Even when it doesn't work out, will you trust my goodness? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God right there is telling you, you don't have to understand why something doesn't work out. Trust me. Trust my goodness. Trust that it's going to work out for the good. I promise you that much. It will always work out for the good. So after those questions have been redeemed by God, that... In that, that verse in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That sick heart that they're talking about that no longer believes in the goodness of God, that, that sick heart has been redeemed. You're not going to have a sick heart because you haven't lost hope in God. Your heart is going to be full of hope. It's not going to be hopeless. And uh, just as a, a, uh, an interesting fact, our inability as Christians, our inability to deal with disappointment is actually the number one reason why, why Christians withdraw from that life of pursuing the miraculous and the signs and the wonders and the, the true biblical faith, living out what we believe. The, that's the number one reason is disappointment because we don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to be let down. But we cannot, when disappointment comes, we cannot, first of all, blame God for it. It is not his fault. He did not do something wrong. He did not err on his part of it. And we cannot, ref we have to refuse to lower the standard of scripture to meet our expectations and our experiences. The scripture is true 100% in all of its entirety by itself. We cannot say, oh, well, maybe it didn't work because only part of this was true. Or maybe that scripture doesn't actually mean what I thought it meant. And we lower the scripture to meet our experiences, experiences so we can feel good about ourselves, right? Because we don't want to feel like we failed. We don't want to feel like, we did something wrong. We don't want to feel like it was our fault that the healing didn't take place. But we're not looking, we're not looking for ourselves. We're not looking out for ourselves here, right? That's not our goal. It's not about us, is it? We're not looking to represent ourselves. Who are we representing? We're representing Jesus. We don't need to feel good about ourselves. We're looking to be like him. It's not about us. It's, it's totally... 100% about him, and we represent him now until we can actually represent him later. When we represent him, we're going to be able to act in those works. You know, we're going to do greater things than those that he did. We're going to work in those ways, and we're going to represent Jesus in the way that Jesus presented himself. 
Jesus presented himself by literally healing people. We can represent Jesus to people and say, this is the God that I serve. This is the Jesus who heals. This is the Jesus who was. This is the Jesus who is. And this is the Jesus who will be. So that was not in my notes. I just got carried away for a second. Give me one second. Okay, so when I heard this next thing, it actually, and, I, and it took me a long time to chew on it because I recognized it as truth, but at the same time, I kind of, it made me feel like, oh, something, so that, that means it is my fault. When something doesn't happen, the lack is never on God's side of the equation. If it's not on God's side of the equation, it's on our side of the equation. The lack is never on God's part, ever. But our sudden awareness of this lack that we have is exactly what he uses to summon us to into, a, into a deeper experience with him. When we realize, no, I can't do this. I have no power to make this happen. I can't make anything happen. When we realize I'm lacking, it takes us to the end of our resources, to the beginning of his, and then he can do something. And that, from that deeper experience is where the true power is going to flow. In realizing God will never let me down. It's never his fault. It's not on his side of the equation. If something does not happen, it's on our side of the equation. And it's something that we need to figure out between us and God what we need to do next. To whether, you know, we need to spend more time with other people who are living in this way or have it imparted to us or, you know, maybe, like I said, just cry out to God again. Just go back to that secret place and cry out to God again. And also, you can't allow... See, we're talking about lies. We're talking about Satan being the master of lies. What is he going to do? It's all your fault. It's all your fault that that didn't happen. You should feel embarrassed. You, sh you should feel shameful. You should even maybe feel guilty. We cannot allow this guilt and shame to run our lives. Because if you're, you're living out of that place of, of guilt and, and shame, can God really use you? Not really. So you can't allow that guilt and shame to come in. When Satan starts to lie to you, you can just be like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Like Ava said, that's a lie, Satan. I don't have to believe you. <laughs> you know, and, and he'll leave. The enemy will flee from you. And, and again, because this isn't about us, because this isn't about what can I do and, and uh, you know, what can people see me doing for God, it's not about us. We're not self-focused here. This isn't about us. This is, this is what can I do for you, God? Who do you want to touch today? Who do you want to heal today? Who do you want to use me to have your power go through me to touch today by your grace? Because I want to extend your grace to somebody today. I want to give them a taste of the Father today. I want them to see you and know you and feel you and taste you and experience you in this physical sort of way. And I'll tell you what, he'll do it. He'll do it every time. He's looking for people who are willing to be used by him. He's looking for people who are willing to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. I lay my life before you. And he's looking for people who are brave. He's looking for somebody to say, I don't have the answers, but God does. I can't make things happen, but God can. I can't, I can't do anything in my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that power, in that power that you possess... God's power through you, lives are going to be changed. So, if you think about um, major illnesses and sicknesses, what are the benefits of it? There's lots of benefits for that sort of thing because we begin to cry out to God. We begin to um, 
to get closer to God and seek breakthroughs. I don't believe that um, it's ever God's will not to heal somebody. But it draws us closer. It draws us closer to God. Maybe the timing isn't what we expect it to be. But we need to seek breakthrough. Maybe we won't see it the sight of heaven. But either way, it draws us closer to what... Um, to breakthrough, to, to living that lifestyle with, with God. So, uh, as we, cl- as we uh, wrap up here, there's one last thing I want to talk about, and that's um, the power of the testimony. Because um, when you have a miracle, it actually, when you testify to other people about a miracle that you've had, it draws their faith. And miracles from that one testimony, miracles can continue. So it actually releases an anointing um, for that same type of miracle. When, when people hear about a miracle happening, they, they begin to believe about what God is doing. And they see the same things happen. So that's all we had for today. Um, and... We hope that you were encouraged and um, that you have something to think about. And we want to uh, take any questions or comments or personal testimonies. We want to hear testimonies of miracles, if anybody has any. So, does anybody have any comments? being recorded so I just want to whatever she says to be on that one time uh, something went out back in here and I happen to know that most of the chiropractors were out of town to uh, some kind of a convention convention I don't know how I knew that now but um, I you know was that it was just left to me to deal with it and I had studied the scriptures a lot for healing and uh, I just commanded it in the name of Jesus to go back into place. And then I was just kind of, it was the pain was terrible, but I just was kind of huddled down the love seat, kind of on my knees, and all of a sudden it just popped back. <laughs> and I've experienced that kind of thing over and over just because I'm standing on the Word. And Isaiah 53 is one of the biggest best passages of scripture to put your faith in that he died for our sins and our sicknesses it's in the atonement and um, he stands by his word and I've experienced that over and over and we do see instant things happen here in the front of the church with the prayer team Um, and so we we just ask them if they're in pain at the moment we say um, what on the scale of zero or one to ten would you say your pain level is and then we they come up with a number and then we just lay hands on them and we say come your kingdom be done your will in this body and in this life as it is in heaven and then we just pray a little bit simply command healing in the name of jesus and then we um 
after a bit we say, are you feeling anything? And, and has that number come down? And a lot of times they feel either peace, warmth, or tingling. And then uh, quite often the number has come down quite drastically. And then <clears throat> we have them rejoice with us. We rejoice together and thank God for what he's done. And we learned that from Bethel too. Because they said that when you... Um, thank him for what he's doing. It increases what he's doing. And it increases their faith and gets their faith and their focus on what is happening already and not that it hasn't already been done instantly. And so then we pray again. And then almost always it goes down to zero. And we just rejoice with them and we say, write it down so that you can testify in church. <laughs> But he does stand by his word, and we're just we just rejoice so much about uh, his truth, and his truth is um, his, the truth of healing that he provided for us already on the cross is more true than the symptoms or the facts of a diagnosis. That's right. And so we proclaim with our mouths the truth, and That's we right. declare it, and we stand on it as long as it takes until we see that our body lines up with the truth instead of the circumstances. That's right. That's so good. Yeah, and I really like how Sue said to write it down. I'm notorious for forgetting things. Um, and yeah, I oftentimes don't have time to write a lot of things down. So if you can just, sometimes if you have like an audio recorder on your phone and you have a minute when you're in the car driving, you can just talk into that and record that. I've done that a few times. Or, um, Anthony just told me last night that he has written a lot of my stories down, <laughs> which is also really great. So if you have somebody who is willing to, to write a biography for you, maybe that's an option. Um, does anybody... Or you can call Anthony. He'd probably... Yeah, he could write it down for you. So um, does anybody else have a story? Um, Katie, yes. I love this. This is one of my favorite things because, like Anthony was saying, power is released when you hear these things. Yeah, years ago, I don't know how many years, 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 years ago, I had a, I had a root canal done, and then they put a cap on my tooth, so no tooth, they put a fake thing on top, and then they found out at some point I was having a swelling, and I went in and they said, oh, there was a root that we didn't find, so we got to do it all over, so they did it all over, and then uh, going, happened again, and this time... Uh, they paid for it because it was the same thing. This time they said, we're just going to drill through the cap and we're going to go in and clean all that out. So they did that. So um, whenever I would have, uh, there were, I mean, maybe three, four times this has happened over the last, I don't know, seven years or so, where my jaw would start to swell up. And um, I think maybe one time I had pain with it. But the others, it was just the pressure, like there was something happening in, in there. And I would begin to speak life over that and pray. And, I, you know, I'd ask people to lay hands on me and pray for me. And I would just speak no and tell it no. Uh, those roots are dead. There's nothing in there. And it would be like the, I would wake up the next morning and it would be gone. It would. I can remember going to a parade once with uh, Hannah and Gwen Fentaway, and, and I was telling her before Gwen earlier, I said, unless God does something, I'm going to have to go to the dentist. And I was, we were getting ready to go out to the car, and 
I mean, it was, I was thinking, I wonder if people can see how swollen this is because it was sticking way out. And, uh, and I realized all of a sudden as we were walking out in the car, this is like half an hour after I spoke, was speaking to her, all of a sudden I realized there was nothing there. It was, the swelling was gone. So as, as, as God has been speaking to me about the power of words and life and truth and declaring things, I haven't got to that full place yet. Things have happened and, you know, I lost a sister and I think, am I guilty for that? You know, I haven't been flowing in things you know, I haven't been doing, I've been doing some, but my heart hasn't been completely sold out. And I haven't been in a place where I need to be, you know, and I'm seeing growth. But I'm not, every time it's like I have to come to the place where, okay, I'm not going to be discouraged and disappointed. Even though I want to be, because yeah, things end in death sometimes, you know. But God is merciful and he does teach us things and he does reveal things and he does keep bringing us back to him no matter what it is there's always something that he's going to grow us in and he's going to benefit others by by us saying okay i'm at the end and i can't do this and you've got to do something and he'll give more he'll give more grace but he will he will increase he will increase that's really good. Does anyone else have story, testimony? Anybody? Sue's got another one. She's on a roll. This happened in the early, late 60s and 70s. Um, we were new to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we went to uh, Clear Lake in Battle Creek, Clear Lake Camp, and saw legs being lengthened. It was happening right before our eyes, you know, and to find out, they said a lot of people have back pain because their legs aren't the same length. And so they would sit in the chair and get, you know, straight back in there and lift up their feet. And a lot of times you could see quite a difference in the length. And they would just simply command the short leg to grow in the name of Jesus, and it would. So Bob and I <clears throat> came back from that, and we weren't married. Yeah, we were married. Um, but there's a doctor in town that had a, a lift in one shoe that was like this much. And we saw, he came into our home and um, we said, oh, we could pray for you right now. And he said, oh, I'm not ready for that. And we said, we are. <laughs> and we had him take his shoes off and sat in a chair and the, the the difference was really obvious. And Bob squatted down and took his heels in his hand, and I commanded the short leg to grow, and it just came out like that fast. And he he could feel his leg moving through his pants, and he goes, whoa! <laughs> and being a man of science, he just could not wrap his mind around what had happened. And his wife told us later, well, he had to go barefoot out the house because he couldn't wear his shoes anymore. And then his wife told us later that um, he kept measuring his legs. <laughs> he just couldn't. He just couldn't wrap his mind around a miracle. And uh, but God is doing miracles like that all over the world, and we can have our expectations rise up higher in expecting that we will and are doing greater things than Jesus did. 
and it, it will happen sometimes too, that we'll, we'll say to somebody, hey, can I pray for you? And they might just say no. I've had that happen a number of times. And other times, you know, they might say, yeah, okay, okay, I guess you can pray, but I don't really believe in that stuff. Well, that's okay because God believes in you. You know, I'll pray for you anyway. Um, but you can't be discouraged either when somebody says no. I mean, or you can just do what Sue did and say, well, we're going to pray for you anyway because we really want to. <laughs> so we know that God's going to do something really cool. And you, yeah, just sit down and or just invite them over to Sue's house if somebody tells you no, and then she'll pray for them there. Um, I just, I did remember a story when I was like, I think I was 16 or so. I had gotten this really bad pain in my head. And, uh, and whatever I was doing that day, it just didn't fit with what I had to do. And I was very young in my faith. I had only been saved for a couple of years, but I was, I was passionate and I was like, God send me, I will go for you. It doesn't matter what or where that is. I guess I still am a little bit like that. But, um, in that moment, I recognized, okay, there's this pain in my head. And so I took my hand and I put it on my head and I said, pain be gone in Jesus name. And I grabbed it and threw it down. And I don't even know what I was thinking, but it left. It was completely gone. And I stood there like this for a long time. I just thought, did that really just happen? Like, where did it go? What? Okay. God, thanks. Like I, 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 I don't even know what just happened just now. But that was one of my first experiences with God actually moving in an immediate sense. And he did that. And he wants to do that sort of thing too. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's not just for him to sit there and kind of smile, you know, like, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> that was fun. Let's do it again. You know, like, you know, what, what, do, what do you want to do next? That sort of thing. Because he wants to use us. And, and it is fun. It's exciting. It's so exciting to follow him and just see where he leads you and where he takes you. And sometimes we won't even know what happens. You know, sometimes we'll pray for somebody and we'll never hear the end of the story. But it could be amazing. It probably is amazing because God is an amazing God. And he probably will do something amazing with that, even though we may not hear about it. And um, I, I do want to reiterate it is so important, you know, again, not to feel guilty or shameful when something doesn't happen because it's not, it, it's not what God would want for us. He just wants that. If those feelings start coming, he just wants to bring you back to him. Like Katie was saying, he does, and he'll always meet you there. He's always there. His love is, is ever flowing. It's always there. It's always constant. And we can tap into it at any time, no matter where we are, no matter how broken we feel or discouraged we feel. He's never not there. He's always there. And he's always ready to meet us exactly where we are. Um, I think we could probably, unless anybody else has, does anybody have any questions about anything? Anybody? Questions? Yeah. We have a five-year-old that, um, it, since she was probably six months, we started to, to notice that she would have symptoms after she would eat. Um, and she now has a, an entire list of food that she is unable to eat without having some sort of a reaction, um, whether it be stomach pain or needs to go to the bathroom immediately or um, rashes, those sort of things. Um, and so we just would ask for prayer for her that God would just lift that from her and that, um, that she would have the freedom to eat the goodness that he has given us. 
and um, and not fear. Yeah. It was awesome to hear the story of Ava, which it was just awesome to hear how she spoke to it um, and told Satan to flee. Mm-hmm. And just praying that for Caroline is her name.